What up, Rob? Uh, what are we at now? Like, 100, uh, 195 miles, something like that. It's gonna be pretty close. Um, I'm hallucinating snakes and crevices. So there's a snake there, there's snake coiled there, snake coiled there, snake coiled there. There's there's a infestation of snakes on this mountainside. It's the only everything. This has been going on for like four plus hours, so. It freaked me out enough. I had him go first, actually, in a lot of this. But I'm serious. I see. I see that everything else looks normal except for these damn snakes everywhere, and I'm not even scared of snakes. That's the weirdest thing. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 64 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And yes, that was that was real. That was recorded during the actual Moab 240. And uh, we'll we'll have this whole episode based on like it'll be basically a uh, race recap, and then I'm going to talk to the four crew members that you know helped me handle and and tackle this incredibly difficult ultra so i think it'll give you a unique insight it'll help you maybe if you're thinking about crewing or pacing um but then it'll also help verify some stories when it got sketchy and i started hallucinating that there's snakes under every rock um so it'll be a fun episode i i did have a few kind of strange um hallucinations a lot of that was just sleep deprivation so when i started seeing that stuff at mile 195 we were pushing because my sleep plan was for sleep at mile 201. So I'd only gotten about just under three hours of sleep. And I was going on towards the end. It was it was like late afternoon of my third day straight. So just some, some reasoning behind uh, what was taking place there. But nothing was so abnormal and crazy that like it, you know, really, really scared me. But it was just kind of strange and... Yeah, most of the time until the very end, I, I knew, like, okay, that's obviously not real. Um, but there were occasional strange strange things. We'll, we'll get into it later here. Uh, first, I want to thank my sponsors, Hammer Nutrition. If you haven't given, given them a shot, feel free to use my promo code 252888, and you'll save 15% off your first order. Big thank you to Sufferfest Beer. They've been a big title sponsor enjoyed an fkt at the finish line of moab 240 very exciting um definitely one of my favorites i i keep saying it's a must try beer of 2018 so if you're a trail runner definitely uh check it out it has electrolytes and vitamin c and all all kinds of good stuff in it um also i, I need to thank destination trail so they have been awesome candace burt actually seen her going after someone who went off trail and was like so gone towards the end um i was probably on mile 230 so i was out of it myself and then candace burt came running back the other way to help help a runner and i think she ended up finding her and brought her into the finish and helped pace her in so that was pretty cool of a race director to do that and uh yeah i can't speak more highly of her and and her team was awesome 
like truly truly phenomenal and big shout out to riley who um helped me out a bunch i i hit a low spot very very low spot that i will get into at the race recap here and uh he just nailed it like he he took a headlamp battery plugged it in his truck gave me an extra battery got me food was just like super positive and uh I don't know. I, I think I would have been able to get through without him, but I don't know. Like, he, he helped that much. So, um, yeah, big thank you, Riley, man, if you're listening. He said he's he's a listener, so hopefully uh, he hears that one. And then, last but not least, Exoskin. So I went in, like, you know, it's it's a sock deal. It's a sock sponsorship. It's kind of the dream of all, all runners. Yes, I got to you know, a sock sponsor, I tested them thoroughly and I liked them. I thought the, you know, they're, they're a little thinner than uh, most socks that I wear, but I thought they were good quality and I thought the breathability and technology behind them was going to work for me. So I wore five pairs of XO skin socks throughout this whole race. I wore their calf sleeves and also some base layers. Um, let me tell you really quick about the socks because I normally, you know, it's a sponsor. I don't want to overly focus on it. Um, you know, they are compensating the podcast to, you know, be heard about this, but it it was phenomenal. Like my feet, I didn't get a single blister during that race. I think there might've been a tiny one that was like about to start. We threw a piece of tape on and it was done. It was like no blisters. So I, I'm still trying to figure out what happened, but considering I've done 50Ks where my feet have gotten more destroyed, I don't know if it was like the perfect temperature or whatnot, but considering there was sand and just rough terrain for 242.3 miles, I tagged on an extra two miles. We'll get to that later. Um, you know, I, I put squirrels nut butter on my toes, threw the exoskin toe socks on and they're super thin so i was like okay well i i tested them they didn't rub more than normal like i should be good um somehow they breathe the breathability and i i don't know how exactly it worked but these socks were phenomenal and i'm i'm giving you my honest feedback i've never taken a video i put on instagram a uh, a video showing what my feet looked afterwards i've never done that i think that's super gross um so enough on that i don't want to sound like this is sales pitch this is just honestly i i can't believe you know i went for all of moab and didn't develop blisters at all so you don't even have to wash them they have some kind of uh copper uh like built into the actual fabric so of all my equipment, my socks didn't stink after all this race, um, which is phenomenal. If you want to try them, they did give me a generous promo code T the number four U twenty. So you'll get twenty percent off your order. I mean, I I actually so I wore four pairs of the toe socks and then I wore one pair of the the normal socks. Um, so yeah, check them out, Exoskin. I'm still like, what the heck happened? Like, shouldn't I have a blister? I just ran 240 miles. Super weird. So let's shift gears into some listener emails, some inspiration. Um, I have to share these because they're awesome. And then I'll do a race recap. Then let's let's talk to my crew and hear more about Moab. 
All right, I get a lot of these messages. I'm trying to share more. I got three really inspirational messages over the past few weeks. I was going to share one, share a few actually. So first one's from Ashley. Hi, Rob. How's your son's health? Sure hope things are going well. Thank you for the podcast. It has been both interesting and inspirational. Hopefully I will get back to being ultra fit. It is certainly an aim to get in another ultra or two before cancer slows me down too much. While it might be slowing me down, it won't stop me. Thanks again for the inspiration. Kind regards, Ashley. Ashley, you're freaking amazing. Um, and I think you have an awesome attitude. And I think that will this will just be a stepping stone and you will you'll be back at ultras here shortly get a few in first and then yeah you'll you'll be back at it i'm sure so thank you for reaching out um i got a message from jacob rob wanted to let you know i finished my first ultra at the beginning of september serious training for it started in may i took each session with purpose i focused on nutrition i focused on recovery i enjoyed being alive that is what running has taught me about more about life than the actual running we go through highs we go through lows and i have transformed that over into everything else outside of running your podcasts and posts of your journey have been inspiring life-giving thank you for what you do you have helped me more than you'll ever know i ran the woodstock 50 miler in michigan i was fourth overall and first in my age group with a finishing time of 8 hours and 22 minutes. Thank you again for all you do, and congrats on Moab. That is on my list. Nice. Well, congrats. Like, I'm I'm truly, I'm happy to, you know, hear this is working for you and inspiring you. And it's cool that it's inspiring you beyond just running. Because, I mean, ultimately my goal is just get outside and, and get some miles in. It's really helped me, so... It's cool that you've um, you've taken that a step further there. Last but not least, Lance, big supporter. Um, cool to get a message from him. Yesterday, me and my 14-year-old daughter ran our first race, the IMTD Des Moines Half Marathon. I started running in June at 47 years old as a way to take on a challenge and see what I had in me. Never had I liked running, so I picked that. I, I caught the bug through, though the Achilles that hurt so bad, it was hard to get out of bed some days, um, to knees that just groan, to feet super sore, ankles that are cranky. I got up in the dark morning hours to huff and puff through a few miles and arrive home super happy. Never ever did I regret cutting sleep short or not feeling like it and still making myself get out and run. Then I found Rob and the Training for Ultra podcast in this group and I knew I'd found people that understood grinding it out to make make it to the middle of the pack and crush it. So Rob, thank you for your hand your hard work. And everyone in the group can't thank you enough. For all the inspiring stories. Love them all. My crushing of the middle of the pack. He ran a 
202, which is really awesome, and finished um, upper middle of the pack, actually. So he watched um, Zach Bitter screen by coming the opposite direction, and he signed up for the Wildwood Trail Marathon in St. Louis area on December 2nd. And uh, he'll have to try his first ultra experience in 2019. So, Lance, thank you for that note. It's really awesome of you. Let's do one more here. All right, we're just in a routine here. So let's do a fourth one. This is from Richard. It's a little longer, but I think it's a cool story. I wanted to reach out and share a recent summer story. My name is Richard, and I'm, I started running about three years ago. I started out walking on treadmill at home. That sounds very familiar. Um, I heard of an ultra called Mind the Ducks close to my house, and I thought it thought I would train for it. And that that was it. I was hooked. This summer, I did an overnight race called Candle Candlelight Twelve. It's from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. The run is over a mix, a mixture of farm fields, hills, gravel, pavement on a 1.07 mile loop. This is my third year doing the race. The first year I didn't set a goal and ran 42 miles. I wanted to get out, have some fun, see how far I could go. I'm not as I'm not a fast runner by any means. The second year I did 47 miles. My goal this year was anything over 47. My wife, daughter, who's seven, and I got to the race early to set up camp. We make it a family affair, setting up camp and my aid station for the night. The weather forecast called called for the race was uh, was for a little bit of rain. The first part of the race went well, although it was harder on my body than other runs. The rain held off, but that didn't last for long. Midway through the night, the rain started coming down hard. Around mile 25, I was really tired. I never felt that tired in a race before. It was getting harder to run. He asked himself, what's wrong with me? I kept saying in my head, as I reached the top of each hill, albeit small, my legs would buckle. I kept thinking it was from my back injury a couple years earlier. I stopped at my tent and sat down. My wife asked what, what I needed. I didn't know. I usually know what I need. I didn't know. I was struggling. I wasn't sure if I could continue. I couldn't even think straight. All that was running in, running through my head was, is this it? My first DNF. The rain was pouring down now, and my mind was blank. My wife asked again what I needed. I turned to the supply table, and that's when it hit me. On the table was Coke and pickles. I remembered your your podcast episode with Anime Flynn and the story she told about going into the aid stations and saying, give me all your pickles and coke. I mustered up enough strength to get up. I downed some coke, had some candy, and changed my liquid cal- calorie plan. I headed back out on the course. After about a mile or two of walking, I started to feel a lot better. At this point, I knew I couldn't make my goal. There is there is a screen at the start-finish that shows your time. Every time I passed, I saw my lap time get more and more depressed. Or I got more and more depressed. Why am I here? I am stronger than this. 
I came up with a plan and at this point was running again. I decided to stop, look, just to totally stop looking at the lap time and stay steady with my pace, running the downhills and flats. That's a good strategy right there. I like that. Um, the plan from here on out was just to finish the best I can. My last projection was that I could hit around 40 to 45 miles. At about 4 a.m. in the morning, I started. it started to downpour for two hours straight. This was the kind of rain that chokes you when you breathe. The race path was flooded in spots. The hills were turning into rivers. So many people dropped out of the race because of the conditions. I can't blame them. It was terrible out there. It stopped raining about 6 a.m., one hour to go. At 6.30, I figured I had maybe two or three laps left in me. As I came across the finish line, my wife and daughter were there to cheer me home. My daughter handed me a Coke and made sure I didn't stop. Now it was time to look at my distance. I walked over the screen and found my name, and next to it, overall distance of 49.2 miles. I couldn't believe it. That wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. I looked back at the race now and wondered what happened. One thing I am sure... If it wasn't for your podcast, I would not have finished the race. I've learned a lot of tips from elite athletes in the sport through your podcasts. It's a great way to gain knowledge in the sport. I would like to thank you for everything you do with Train for Ultra, your personal story of getting into ultra running, how you balance everything in your life, family, podcast, training, and your races is inspiring. I am many... Many would like to say thank you for everything you do. Congrats again on your Moab 240 finish. Thank you for listening to my story. I hope this sheds some light on how you inspire people to run through your podcast and social media, your friend, Richard. That's just a phenomenal story. Richard, thank you for taking the time and, and writing that all down. I think it's awesome that you include your, your family in the annual event. I can't wait to see what you do next year, but... Thanks again for sharing that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed some of those uh, messages I get. Alright, and here it is. Moab 240 race recap. I've never received more requests from people to do a race recap than the Moab 240. So for some reason this is piquing people's interest. I think it's because it's kind of like the freakishly long race. Like, it's, it's not even a 200 miler. Like, they tagged on an extra 40 miles and a lot of people are like, oh, it's only a 238.3 race. Well, I confirmed with uh, Candace that this year's race, because of the reroute due to snow up top um, at some uh, the higher altitude sections of the race, they had to reroute it, and it actually added two miles. So the race actually was 240.3 this year. Um that's a lot. That's a lot of a lot of miles. So, I'll just start from the beginning. I'm not gonna list off aid station names and all that kind of, you know, unique insight. I'll just I'll keep it at the mile markers just to generally reference what was going on. And again, this is gonna be more topical and synthesized than uh, if you really want the details. I'm writing. I think four chapters just on this race. I'm breaking it out into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So the 
the book is the the book's available for pre-order on my website. If you're interested, you you have to know um, a lot more detail. And actually, I'll I'll save some of the really really good stuff for the book. But um, this hopefully will be entertaining enough. But so the beginning of the race, I mean, I slept well uh, two nights prior and the night prior. For whatever reason, I've just gotten to the point where basically no distance stresses me out the night before the race. So uh, this was my 21st ultra start line. And, you know, I, I have a pretty good routine at this point, you know, waking up probably three hours before the start line, getting coffee in me, getting just a little bite to eat. Um, nothing too crazy, but the first 20 miles of this race went really smooth. I felt very good. I hit flow almost immediately. You know, the first, the beginning of it's on pavement for like three and a half miles, roughly speaking. Uh, and if anything, I was just, I was feeling too good. I had to force myself to slow down a little bit. We hit the hiking sections. Everything was going perfect. Uh, I was being patient. You know, if I had a runner behind me, I just pulled over to the side, let them pass. Was not going to have someone push me, <laughs> you know, beyond where I wanted to be at the beginning of a 240-mile race. So, it went up. Actually, there's a lot of climb at the Moab 240, so it gets this, it gets this like... I don't know, generalization of being this flat desert race, well, you'll be in for a little bit of surprise if you're going in with that mind frame, because there's definitely some climbing. I think overall the race had something like 28 or 29,000 feet of gain, which, yeah, it, it accumulates uh, fatigue on your body. You know, it does, it takes extra calories and extra effort to climb, so, you know, it's, there's definitely some climbing, not like a huge amount, but definitely there's some serious climbing. So I was feeling good. I mean, I went slightly off course on this downhill section through Slick Rock, and but generally I was feeling good. Hit, um, I think it was right around mile 17 or 18, hit my crew. I knew it was the last time I'd see... You know, I, I was talking to Dave, like, this last time I see you guys until mile 75. So, it was make sure to get all my cold gear packed, ready to go. You know, I'm all set, feeling good. I was a half an hour ahead of schedule at that point. So, it was, it was a little quick, if anything. Um, but I wasn't, you know, my legs, they were they were feeling like they ran, but nothing crazy. So... After that stop, I I actually slowed down my pace a little bit, crushed down um, Jacob's ladder. There's a YouTube video too, if if you're wondering. It goes around mile 18, roughly speaking, or maybe 20 at that point. But I got to the very bottom, pulled out my um, or I I was putting my trekking poles back, and I was like, okay, time to hit a gel. Like I have to stay on top of nutrition. And I realized I didn't have my bag of nutrition. So I had like a 2,000 calorie bag with like tons of hammer gels and hammer perpetuum and all kinds of stuff in it. Well, when I pulled out my poles, apparently I pulled out my bag by accident, didn't hear it fall or anything. 
So at that point, it was something like, I think it was 12 miles of, like, some of the hotter miles, desert, um, before the next aid station. I didn't have any of my nutrition. So I was like, oh, this is not good. And I knew it. It sucks when you know what the problem is and how to remedy the, the issue, but you have no capacity to do that. So I finally, I, I had liquid calories. So I had like probably 200 calories and I was rationing my water, managed to just squeak into that aid station through four or five of the gels in my bag that were from the aid station. And they made me a to-go bag, which was essentially a sandwich bag of what the highest calorie food I saw on the table at that point was just um, potato chips. So filled up that bag and the guy's like, you got 20 miles, you know, four, four miles to the next water only stop. And then it's 16 miles from there to the next aid station, which is like roughly 48 miles in. So I was like, okay, like I can do this. And just kept moving forward and then as I was going I was like oh this is not good like these these gels only have a hundred calories and I couldn't hardly stomach them um there was like this awful uh I'm not gonna mention the name it, it wasn't a hammer gel or an, any hammer product that I'm used to using so I had to basically like squeeze the thing in my mouth and like down it with water not not ideal to not want to have that like consistency or flavor in your mouth when you have to be eating. So I rationed those potato chips. Was finally approaching mile forty eight. So like it was slow go. It was it was heat of the day. I was feeling hot. I was slowing down intentionally, and uh, was right on mile forty eight. So I downed the last of my potato chips. It was exciting to get rid of that sandwich bag and be able to throw that in the pack and not worry about it anymore. Had the last of those awful gels, put in, had the maple ap- aftertaste, squeezed, squeezed the last bit of water, and uh, looking around, like, the sun's about to go down. Like, this is good. Like, I made it to this aid station. I thought I had a drop bag, actually, there, and I, I didn't. Um at the next aid station but I look around and I'm like there's no aid station around like let's just keep going let's push a little bit um I don't want to have to stop to get my headlamp out and my jacket out yet let's just keep grinding I can sit down in a nice chair and you know take in some calories and get all that stuff I look around and I'm I'm like half a mile beyond where the aid station's supposed to be I'm like I asked someone you know where's the next aid station and the guy's like, oh, man, that's not for, like, five and a half miles. So I'm like, are, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, man. And he just runs off. <laughs> and so I immediately pull over, sit on a rock. I start feeling a little bit bad for myself, but, you know, I use it as an excuse to get my headlamp out and my jacket out and know, like, it's going to be a while until I get to the next aid station. And it definitely was. It like I could feel over the next mile my body start bonking. Like I didn't have enough calories. I didn't have any water. And I still had hours to go. Like at the pace I slowed down to, I was probably doing like twenty minute miles. 
and that might even be aggressive. <laughs> so it was like, it was probably like two hours roughly to get to this aid station in this complete bonked out, like weaving all over the trail, like hardly able to walk straight. Just, it was a pretty low, low, um, and it was horrible because I knew exactly what I needed. I just needed food. But I was also a little concerned, like, how is this going to set me back for the whole race? Because I know, like, once you once you dip into the reserves, like, I don't know, it could, it could play out horribly at mile 200. So finally get in the – well, no. Actually, uh, I can see the aid station because it's just dropped down, like, half a mile away. My headlamp starts flickering, so I'm like, er, seriously right now? Like, okay, this is going well. Uh, yeah, I pull over, sit down on a rock, because that was basically my routine. <laughs> Every half a mile or a mile, I'd reward myself with being able to sit down for a few minutes and feel bad for myself. Um, put put the new headlamp battery in, and it's it's dead. So I'm like, okay, great. Like, the backup battery's dead. I got half a mile to go, like I exchanged the battery back in, keep going, like the light's coming in and out, it's all downhill, so I'm like, okay, like, let's just get in, we we have to get calories right now, like, this is not okay, start running, the light's coming in, then it goes out, then it comes in, then it goes out, well, it goes out, and I kick a rock hard with my left foot, like, just right on my left big toe. And I'm just like, oh gosh, like that toenail is definitely going to be toast. Then the light comes back on. <laughs> and yeah, so I somehow, I, I squeak into the aid station. I I pull up and aid station captain or someone who works for Destination Trail, Riley's just like super helpful. Like he, he's like, hey Rob. So like he must have, uh. He, he must have been listening to the podcast earlier. He knew he knew my name, and I was probably looking like a complete hot mess at that point. I'm like, yeah, my, my headlamp died. He's like, oh, no problem. He takes takes a battery, takes it over his truck to recharge it, like gets me food. I'm just sitting around. I'm like, okay, well, this is not planned at all, but I need to take 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Like I need to just start eating recharging my batteries literally like like headlamp battery and my own because i knew i had been deprived of calories i was uh yeah it was rough like i i had every excuse to just call it quits there um and i i did a post on this and i wrote about it but you know i went over this they had a uh, a fire going and just sat down i was just like this is Hor- like this is horrible like this is not how you start a race it's 240 miles and just looking up you know I, I see every star in the sky and I gain just a, enough perspective and it's a good reminder of you know this race isn't the end all be all like this is this is just a single race and yeah, it was a good reminder of how lucky my family was with my son and you know not he he did not have serious health issues and so 
kind of did an internal like self pep talk there and got out of the aid station number three out like can't believe this you know i'm feeling better now start running for about a mile and then i'm like i forgot to take the to-go bag like a food because there were no drop bags there i still didn't have my nutrition and i i bonked again and so in the book i go over all this detail uh, me and this girl from Mexico were just like both like super super struggling for hours on end she's puking her guts up I'm like I feel obligated to stay to stay and help her so like we're we're sitting around for like 10 minutes as you know she's not feeling good then she's waiting around for me I'm like can I sleep for three minutes and it was it was ugly it was seriously ugly um and this pack of people that were hiking, probably all like kind of struggling a little bit, are like, hey, you want to join? We tag along. Got lost. <laughs> for I think we added an extra mile and a half, roughly. Went through this off-the-grid off, off the grid wash that had this huge drop-down that luckily we saw ahead of time. Did some barbed wire <laughs> rerouting. And, uh, yeah, we got right back to where we saw we missed the turn. And, uh, yeah, luckily I managed to get to mile 75, got there, saw, saw Nathan, who's on my crew, uh, Patreon supporter, really nice guy. And, uh, met him for the first time. It's just like, <laughs> he's seen me like basically worst, worst case scenario me. So it was great. Always meeting someone for the first time after having that, uh, first 75 miles to start off a race. But I was like, Nathan, just give me any, like, get me calories. Like, I don't even care what it is. And I can see why people just start ordering burgers every time because there's, like, potato chips. And in terms of, like, because you're burning so many calories, there aren't many options that actually make sense to even try to break even. Um, so, yeah, I had a sandwich, I had a burger, I had bars, I had all kinds of stuff. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to take a 45-minute nap. Went over to the sleep station, slept, came back, and was, like, reborn. I was, like, a new person. So, from there, Dave took me, got me through some mud and some, some like, washes that had been rained on and muddy and were almost like rivers which is really pleasant for mile like 85 but my feet didn't stay too bad um they didn't get too wet and then we we just kept grinding um dave and i got to 102 i think it was and i was i was still in a good mood i mean after coming back from the dead essentially is what my joke was um what it actually was I was like, nothing Nothing can bother me at this point. Like, I literally sat there thinking, like, this could be it. And to be able to still have legs and feel great. Never had a headache the whole race. Like, I was, I was very positive. Picked up Nathan. He took me 20 miles. We had this monster climb. Monster descent. And then we had, like, this slow descent that was just a Jeep road. And... I hit the downhill before the Jeep road pretty hard. I mean, we probably hit 11-minute pace per mile, which when you're at mile 120, I was like, okay, pull back, bud. Don't overdo it. 
and I knew I hadn't slept at all really besides that 45 minute nap um and my sleep station or my sleep plan was uh two and a half hours roughly at mile 121 so I knew I was like okay we got like a mile and a half to go but my quad started just screaming and this whole race like every aid station you think is going to be there is like just just two or three miles away where you suffer a little bit getting into there so i was like nathan can you just go ahead and grab some hammer recoverite because i thought like okay you know i gotta take a nap like recoverite i need glutamine like this this could pretty much take care of this problem and uh he's like yeah sure so i only had a mile mile and a half but the jeep road looked the same it kept bending to the right and I had talked to Sean in the previous episode about this and was like, oh, I would never have that problem. It literally, I felt like I was circling the mountain in circles. So, like, I think I started kind of hallucinating. I, I felt like there was an animal, like, stalking me on the right. Like, I could hear an animal, like, everywhere I went on my right side in the woods. And then I felt like... I was in this, Sean said it was an infinite loop. That's exactly how I felt. Like I felt like this, it was just like a circle that just kept going around and around the mountain. I was super confused. And I come up on this family that's hiking. I can see in their like Winnebago on the right. I'm like, oh, that's, that's different. So I must've finally made it somewhere. Like I'm out of the infinite loop, which was a little a little freaky actually um and then nathan pops out of the trail and uh that there was no winnebago family <laughs> it was nathan's like oh sorry man I had, to, I had to take a leak like so it was it was my pacer um so yeah i made it in that sleep station again it was just get as many calories in as possible i'm not sure how long i slept i think i probably slept less than two hours honestly I think the plan was for like two and a half or even three, but I mean, in reality, between trying to like change clothes and I was kind of shivering at the start and whatnot, I probably got two hours. So wake up, get ready, roll out my legs a little bit. And I'm like, again, reborn, like feel like a new person. And Ethan takes me for quite some time. And I underestimated just the toll on our on my pacers, but each of these guys are doing like 25, 35, 45 miles, 55 miles. I don't even, I didn't even break it out by pacer, but 175 miles of pacing uh, between four different guys is, it's a lot of miles for each one and a lot of sleep deprivation. And like they're going through just as much as I am. So Ethan pulls me through does an awesome job uh we get to the next aid station again i'm feeling really good like you know next sec next sections like 13 miles all flat like this is going to be piece of cake like time to make up some time we hit it and there's like a 25 mile an hour like wind just directly in our face to the point where i can walk behind ethan and actually pick up two minutes per mile just drafting like i literally we we had enough time <laughs> you couldn't run it wasn't like really comfortable to run into and uh it was a total it was a bummer it was a long stretch and you'll see that 
picture of me just sitting in the road, like, head down. Yeah, that was with Ethan, like, after tons of miles just directly into the wind. I mean, we hit it, I think we hit it right around 150 miles at that point, and parts of it, when we finally dipped out of the wind, I could run, and I actually was like, I can't believe my legs are letting me do this. Like, my perceived effort is high. You know, it's it's slightly higher. So I felt like I was running a 10-minute mile in my head, and it was probably converting to about a 13-minute pace. But it was still a 13-minute pace, and I was still running. So that was pretty unique. Ethan reels me in. Dave takes over. We hit another section, um, which I hit the deepest level of flow of my whole life. It was like outer body experience type flow. And my pace was definitely picking up. I think I was hitting right around right around 10 or 11 minute pace. And it was flat and it was also downhill for, for sections. And it went, probably ran for almost an hour straight. And uh, it, was, it was like a meditative, almost like a religious flow state that I was in. And then when I came out, tried to hit gels, but my energy level just was kind of funky and low and then we just managed to get in um, to the next aid station right around mile 175 and that was right as it was getting dark right as it was getting cold right as we were getting up in altitude and that's when I picked up Dan Ludman Dan for pacing uh, some really hard sections so I tried to sleep uh, for like a 25 minute nap there I, I'm still not sure if I even fell asleep at all um, but yeah going going into my going into the night you know they my crew definitely came through for me here and were like hey layer up get ready like it's going to be freezing up top Dan and I take off and yeah there were stretches of just never ending climbs so I think we had to do about 9,000 feet of gain and it was a rerouted section so I'm not even sure how much it was but you know the course had been marked for I think nine or 10,000 feet of gain over uh, I think 15 miles or so but yeah it was false summit after false summit after false summit to the point where I was like cracking up and just like okay it can't be more than like three or four more so I just kept going after him going after him and it was like literally false summit false summit false summit for like 25 in a row finally made it to the aid station up there my uh my new friend riley from destination trail made an awesome grilled cheese like phenomenal um got some calories in took a cat nap there which was kind of cool like 15 minutes real quick nap felt refreshed it's like hyper alert like I could hear them come over to the tent to wake me up even though I was sleeping which is kind of weird and we're off and yeah that that next section I mean it was downhill for like two or three miles then it was this ugly reroute through uh, a section of trail that really wasn't even trail honestly it was so rough it looks like it looked like it had been neglected for a few years and then cut back like maybe six months prior and then I 
I don't know. It looked pretty rough. Um, luckily, Dan had to go to the restroom there. And I was like, Dan, take your time, man. I'm going to lay down under this pine tree. And I took another... And we'd been going at it for a few hours. So probably another four hours in. And I was I was struggling for sleep. But I was like, I'm going to lay down. And I, there's a picture of it, too. Lay down for maybe ten minutes. And got back up after Dan was done. And was like... I feel totally refreshed. Like, it was amazing how much difference that 10-minute catnap made. And I felt almost like a wild animal looking for pine trees with pine needles. It was very primal. It's kind of weird. So we go down the next water-only aid station. All the water was frozen. And uh, they did have some gels and candy and stuff. It was like a bucket full of that stuff um but all the water had frozen over we hit a giant climb up following that and uh i thought i heard a cat hiss at me like through the brush and then i started seeing some weird stuff so we're hitting like about mile 190 you know i'm going on a solid three days with less than three hours of sleep and i saw like a fox animal toy it, it got kind of weird. Just kept moving. Kept climbing. You know, we hit mile 190 exactly. It was kind of a big moment. Like, that's awesome. It was beautiful. The sun sun was coming up. Things were warming up a little bit. And then we dropped down. Had a big climb. During the big climb, that's when things got kind of weird. I started seeing snakes coiled up. And snake heads, like, peering out from underneath every rock. And I would say there's a rock every every other step and this was a steep climb this was like almost like a pike's peak type climb section um and luckily when we got to the top it was just a bunch of snow so (laughs) for a few miles we were going through this melted kind of slushy snow with only four or five footprints in front of me meaning it had been frozen prior but it thawed at the perfect moment just for just for Dan and I to sludge through. And we finally get to the top, work our way down, and this aid station's like never coming. Like we just keep waiting and waiting and they just I don't know if like we're totally off off the mark here or what was going on. And then all the all the uh snow had melted into mud. So we had probably three miles, four miles of just going through straight up mud and it it broke dan actually um he he's a lead man he said it was the hardest stretch hardest segment he has ever done and it sucked i wasn't very positive (laughs) through that section um but i mean it was one of those like are you serious like we've been going for 20 hours now and we haven't had an aid station like that's just too long to be carrying all your stuff like that was that was what was weird was throughout the whole day I had to carry all my cold gear and I had really like layered up um, for that super cold like over the night it got probably below 10 degrees and so we're carrying a bunch of excess gear like it had been 20 hours we finally get in it's just like whatever like Dan's fried I'm like just show me where the food is <laughs> and so we get into the tent 
and I'm like, okay, I'll have a cheeseburger. Like that, that's the only thing that has enough calories to even come close to what I need right now. Um, cause I was borderline bonking for the past three miles to get into the aid station, but it did help having hammer gels throughout that 20 hours. I'm not going to lie. Like it was very, very helpful. Um, so I'm eating cheeseburger and I have a woman working on my foot, my feet. So we take them all, take my socks off. She's shocked at how good of condition my feet are in. So we put a thing around, uh, of tape around my big left toe that I kicked a rock at. That was back at like mile hundred. It held up good enough. And then we had just like single pieces of tape on kind of like the pad of my foot for both my left and right. And they gotten wet in the mud. So all we did was replace them. There was no blisters or I, I didn't chafe this whole race. So that was like a big thing with my crew. I was like, last thing, like I need to lube up. I need squirrels nut butter before I leave every aid station. And they've been, they were awesome about it. So no chafing, no blisters. Like what the heck is this even a 240 mile race? Um, but yeah, the weirdest thing was she took a long time working on my feet. And I was okay with that. Um, they brought me another cheeseburger. So I, I had two cheeseburgers. I had like potato chips, I had some bars and then somehow managed to fall asleep for like two hours. And then it was like, okay, I'm <laughs> reborn again. Like this is, this is phenomenal. Like the impact of sleep on your nervous system and muscles and just overall I mean it doesn't even have to be much so Ethan and I take off it's an important section we're we're at mile 201 he's like we have a big climb but then it's all downhill so it's like bring it on um I'm like okay I think music right now like I've held back because following like the whole game plan from the very beginning was hold back until mile 200 and I, I had really held back. I mean, it naturally worked out when I was bonking for 30 miles. Um, so we get up to that climb, get that out of the way. And I put, put my headphones on and we start cruising. Like I remember mile 208 specifically, we dropped below a 10 minute pace per mile. And Ethan and I just cruise we we crushed that 20 mile segment so dave was scheduled to pick me up for the final segment and he was shocked to see us show up three hours ahead of schedule for that segment so that's how that's how well i was running for that segment like i probably my average pace for all 20 miles was probably 13 minutes or something to that effect including the the two big miles of climbing that started off so something was clicking I felt like I could actually open up and uh you know hit it because it felt good and I had I'm trying to think before we left that aid station I picked up gummy bears because I was just like okay it's time to hit sugar like 40 miles had some coke and some gummy bears just to like I need something just to pick me up here so handful of gummy bears and actually I took a little baggie of them and I never take sugar but this was like okay last 40 miles so we get in the last aid station I'm with Dave order 
some more food. I think they made a sandwich there. More like whatever had the highest calorie count. Um, and then they had this big bowl of gummy bears. So I hit the gummy bears again because it was like, hey, like we started this mess. I remember talking to Brian Frank of Hammer Nutrition. Like once you start the sugar train, you gotta you gotta keep it up. So took a giant baggie of gummy bears to go there. Like almost to the point where I felt guilty and I'm at like mile 225 or something like to actually feel guilty for the amount of gummy bears from the aid station that you took. Um, (laughs) kind of next level there. Um, but yeah, Dave and I were hiking. It's super techie. Like I'm feeling bonky. Like it was rough for probably 10 miles. Like it's just slow grinding. Like it was nighttime and it just, I don't know. I wasn't feeling it for some reason. It just, I couldn't get things going. I tried to put music on again. And then Dave turns his ankle, like, hard. I saw it. I was, because he was running right in front of me. I was like, oh, God, like, that sucks. How's this going to work? And he's, he just kept trudging forward. And uh, then his headlamp dies. So I'm like, oh. Like, I, I remember this string of bad luck from earlier in my race. Like, I sit down on a rock. He's like, you know, do we have batteries? Do you have another headlamp? Like, how are we going to do this? Um, so we figure out a game plan. I give him my backup battery with a cord charger. He ends up using his iPhone for a light, and it was charged. I think he had an extra battery backup. But as I'm sitting there and we're trying to figure this out, I'm, like, wolfing down gummy bears. Like, nobody's business. Like, I probably had half a pound of gummy bears. And so we're walking. I'm like, Dave, like, dude, if you need to just, like, hang back and I can send Ethan to come pick you up or whatever. He's like, no, I'll I'll be able to handle it. And I was like, all right, if I start feeling good, like, I'm just going to keep going. And he's like, yeah, it's cool. Um, I had, like, a, a bizarre... This was like sugar flow. <laughs> I was, it was mile 230 probably, 235. No, it was, it was 235. Let's see. Yeah, 235. I was running. I was crushing. I was like, there were uphill sections that were probably like a like 150 foot climb with like some techie slick rock. This is Porcupine Rim. I'm running uphill, I'm not out of breath, I'm just on, like, a total sugar high. Like, I've never experienced that before. I know people hold back on caffeine a lot of times, and uh, I sort of had that weird effect of, like, not having sugar for several years, and then having, like, more gummy bears than is probably healthy to consume in one sitting. And I was just, like, full-blown parts of it I was sprinting and I wasn't out of breath it was bizarre and maybe I was so sleep deprived that I wasn't feeling pain any longer so like the pain signals weren't reaching my brain because I was I felt like I don't know I felt like I was killing going downhill (laughs) it was probably like a 13 minute mile downhill pace but I was I was seriously crushing it was bizarre and then I'd know where Dave catches up. I was like, well, that's, that's freaking super weird. Like I thought he basically broke his ankle and, uh, he, he, his comment to me was like, ah, 
no, I've been doing this for four days. Like, I can't miss your finish line. I was like, oh, I feel super guilty. Um, but we made up so much time uh, for that five or six mile stretch where I was running probably 11 or 12 minute miles on average with some serious train. Um, and I, I slowed it down and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I need to slow down. Like, this is kind of stupid. Like, we have it within reach. Let's just reel it in. And so we, Dave and I just reeled it in. It wasn't fun. It wasn't anything special. It was more like, let's not go off course. Let's not do anything stupid. You know, Dave's ankles totally busted. Like, let's just get in. And that's what we did. Um, Dave was excellent with, like, picking up on foot tracks. So, like, the within the last three miles, there was this kind of sketchy turn through uh, <clears throat> this deep descent off of Porcupine Rim onto just some the road into Moab and he picked up on footprints exactly where to go at one point we had like three or four people all following us because they couldn't pick up course markings um and yeah we we just brought it in and honestly those last few miles in were like the whole race you know you think you're you think you're at the finish or you think you're at the next aid station and it's always like two or three miles away from being right there and so it came in the finish line, and I think it was Dave asked me on camera, and I was like, I don't even know, like, what to feel right now. Like, I thought, you know, you, you feel like if you do some kind of huge accomplishment, um, you'll teal, tear up or get emotional. I didn't have the energy to. So I got through the finish line just with kind of like a dumb blank stare on my face and just super thankful for all the crewing and pacing and help to get this done. Um, I, I went above and beyond with like making sure I had the all-star team ready. Um, cause this race meant a lot to me. Like I, I truly saw it as kind of like possibly a once in a lifetime opportunity and I didn't want to take it lightly. And I'm glad I had that crew there. I'm glad I had the pacers. I'm glad we, did all the planning because i needed it like i i hit the lowest lows just 50 miles into this race and yeah to be running for like the last few miles like that porcupine rim section like running up hills was ridiculous it's like a memory i'll always have um and yeah my crew is just awesome they had the they had Sufferfest FKT ready. I had one. And then I was sitting in this chair talking to a friend from Facebook who also finished a race, excellent runner. Um, closed my eyes and like I felt like my head just nodded forward a little bit and then like it nodded back and I opened my eyes. But I had actually slept for 30 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, and I was able to walk to the car. So I was like, at first I was like, oh, is this, how bad is this going to be like walking afterwards? And my hips were sore and, you know, like some of my muscles were sore, but I was able to walk to my car actually easier than after some hundred Ks and hundred milers, oddly enough. So I'm not sure what that was all about, but, and then the follow-up, I mean, I would say I didn't run for 10 days. And my body was much more fatigued and sore than most ultras. And I could just sense that. And uh, 
I did not, I didn't want to run for 10 days. Like, I needed a break. Like, it wasn't like I was burnt out on running or anything, but I was like, okay, like, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to take extra time with my family. And, uh, yeah, like, I every morning I woke up, and by the way, my coworkers' minds were blown that I was walking around, like, the next day because we drove back. I had finished right Tuesday morning, 95 hours and, like, 53 minutes and 37 seconds, so just under four days, which was really cool. Dave kind of pushed me to get in before four days, which was awesome. I could not do math beyond 50 miles. Um, my Yeah, so we finished Tuesday morning, like, right almost at 7 a.m., and yeah, 7 a.m. Wednesday, I was at work walking around like people, people are, mentally, I was a little foggy. I'm not going to lie. Um, I would say mentally, I was probably more fatigued than physically, which I didn't expect. But every morning I'd wake up and my quads would hurt. My hips would be sore. My glutes would be just a little, little more sore than they should be. Um, and I definitely just let my diet totally totally loose for 10 days like like i'm feeling super guilty i probably had four gluten-free pizzas um and i probably what's weird is my weight hasn't changed but i can just tell like i'm i'm feeling a little out of shape and need to get back into things but yeah moab 240 it's a totally different experience it is not an ultra running experience that you've probably ever had at like a hundred miler or a 100k or 50 mile or 50k it's totally totally different it's totally unique it's very cool like i highly recommend checking it out after you've done a few hundreds and you're looking for something different once you start toying with sleep stations and there's so many variables it's it's really cool um i'm hoping to possibly do one uh next year that's how much i enjoyed it it's a life-changing experience and i think candace even says like in her write-ups and stuff on moab like this is a journey and this is like a lifetime achievement this isn't really that much of a race and so i think if i have the opportunity to do a 200 miler again which i'm really hoping i do um i'm going to approach it more as a journey i'm going to take it a little easier at the beginning i think within the first 20 miles I was probably top 20 which was a little aggressive to still have like a somewhat race mentality in my head um dropping my bag of nutrition I went from having race mentality to let's just finish the race like is it even possible to finish after this blow up and uh just thankful thankful to have finished it it was a really really cool experience I'm gonna share so many more details i have some hilarious stories and stuff written up in the book so it's available for pre-order and i'm I'm gonna put everything i have into it so hopefully you guys enjoy it and draw some inspiration i'll also throw some videos up on uh on youtube to try to give some visual because all my crew and pacers took some film and photos so speaking of crew and pacers let's uh let's shift gears and uh talk to them see what they think all right, I'm joined here by my crew for the Moab 240. I called them my all-star team. They truly are all very talented runners. They did an excellent job crewing and pacing me. 
I wanted to take time so that you know the listener can learn some tips on on crewing this ridiculous race, but then just some pacing tips and and running tips. And I thought it'd just be fun to have him on as uh, you know a big extra. Thank you for getting me through Moab. Let's start with Dave. Will you guys do just a quick uh, self introductory uh, name and, and running background? Uh, yeah, I'm Dave Bromlick. I've been on the podcast a couple times earlier this year, mainly with my Colorado Trail through hike I did earlier this summer. Um, I ran Leadville 100 a couple weeks after that, and I was, I guess, quote unquote, crew captain for for this Moab 240 now a couple weeks ago. We had Ethan. Yeah, uh, my name's Ethan Bartle. Um, I'm kind of new to the sport. This is really my first season, like, racing. Um, I had done a 50-mile back in May, and uh, I ran Never Summer 100K with Rob, uh, which was a cool experience. Um, and I ended up actually crewing and pacing Dave for Leadville, which was awesome. Um, and that was really my first, like, sort of pacing experience uh, before um, Moab. So it was all kind of new to me, and I actually had, like, a funny, I don't know, experience with, with Rob on my first uh, day out with him, uh, which we can talk about. Sweet. But... Oh, I'm sure everyone has a funny story about me at some point during this rest. Um, <laughs> hey, Dan, let's let's hear uh, hear some about your background. I'm uh, Dan Kubish. I uh, live in Middleton, Colorado. Um, been running consistently for six years or so. Um, uh, my breakthrough year was 2017 and um, I took on uh, Leadville Leadman Race Series. Uh, first century ride on a bike, first hundred mile run, and um, yeah, just cross paths with Rob uh, on and off uh, with run clubs and other people racing and pacing, and uh, was privileged enough to, uh, to end up on his 240 team. Uh, yeah. Nice. Lead man Dan. I mean, you always want a lead man on your team. Um, and then last but not least, Nathan. I mean, you filled in the... Uh, God, we were trying to figure out logistics and we were so screwed because we just needed a solid, you know, fourth man on crew. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I was happy to be a part of it. Um, Nathan Johnson from Salt Lake. Ironically, as Rob will probably mention, 240 miles away from Moab. <laughs> Um, that was just yeah, me. That was me kinda... to send that, you know, before the race, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I've also kind of new to the sport. I ran a couple half marathons, ran uh, 50k, and planning Black Canyon 100k next uh, next year with a couple of guys from the Patreon group here and Rob, and uh, hopefully Wasatch 100 next year. Sweet. Well, let's um. Let's start off, I mean, whoever wants to, to start with this, I mean, feel free to speak up, but what were your expectations of the the race and then, you know, expectations of crewing and pacing and then how did it turn out? Like, was there any, like, major differences? Did things go, like, roughly what you were thinking? Any of you have thoughts uh, on that? Yeah, I guess I could start with that. This is uh, Dave. Um, yeah, we have these nice laminated um, spreadsheets that we kind of all collaborated on and got printed out. So 
I started writing down the times against the expected times. And early on, Robbie, you're way ahead. And I was like, yeah, right, Rob, you're, you're doing great. You're crushing it. And then, you know, things change and the plans that you have in the beginning can just get so, so far off. And by the time that um, I was going to first pick you up at mile 73.7, at least on the sheet that I have here, uh, you were, I think, a good two, three hours behind that. And <laughs> I guess you can maybe talk about what happened there, then just adjusting all the other times and did have to make some other changes of pacers on the fly um, later on. So, but the first real part of the race, um, you know, was pretty much on schedule. And at least for us, for crew, there wasn't, wasn't much for us to do until, um, until the middle and second half of the race. It's like butterfly effect. Oh, go ahead. I just say, Rob, I still, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just thinking it's like the butterfly effect. I mean, like a mist gel at mile 25. There's so many freaking miles. Like it can totally cause plans to deviate. Like, like no other ultra that I've ever been a part of. Um, but as a listener heard in the the race, you know, recap, dropping a giant bag of nutrition that you're depending on and having to bonk your way through 30 miles and just pick yourself off the ground and somehow make it to mile 75 i mean let's start there i mean first person i see i walk in and it's nathan who i've i've never met in person i knew what you look like you know i've i've talked to you like through text messages and whatnot I mean, what what's yeah, going through your head when I show up like just a complete mess, way behind schedule? Like, <laughs> what like what's going through well, your Dave, head? <laughs> yeah, um, so Dave and I are you know we're kind of hanging out, and he wanted to catch some Z's, and uh, he set up his uh, sleeping bag just off off the side of the trail there, and uh, I kind of set up camp. Uh, <laughs> right right inside of the of the course and uh every headlamp that was bouncing down i was like oh that's definitely gonna be rough because right on time <laughs> two hours passed or so and and uh yeah and and there there you were checking out the aid station <laughs> so was so, I, uh, was i two hours behind schedule at that point i think i think about two hours yeah okay i lost track yeah. of time after uh, after 50 miles <laughs> i just i don't even know Lost track of days. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I uh, got you some calories, much-needed calories, it sounded like. It was a little bit chilly at that point. Uh, yeah, you, you actually looked good despite that. I, I wouldn't have guessed that you had uh, been through, uh, through hell and back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was one of those, I finally made it. So you, you, you saw me, I mean, somewhat optimistic, like, uh, I got through it. Like now you guys are here. I felt more confident knowing like everyone's going to be, you know, at their place and like worst case, like I'll have someone there to like at least talk to. Cause it was like one of those, it was such a dark spot and not even having, uh, someone to talk to really was what made it even harder. And so when I started having conversations with other people that were having a you know horrible time, it was actually uplifting. Like I felt my energy levels 
benefit just from having a conversation, but I was bonking that hard at that point. So, um, and let's just go chronologically. I mean, Dave, what are you thinking? You pick me up and we have what, two segments together? Yeah, we went from, well, we picked you up at the hamburger rocket station, mile 73.7. And I was with you till Bridger Jack at mile 102. So as, uh, Nathan said, uh, cowboy camp on some rocks and probably called them a sleeping bag around midnight and was waiting to hear the cheers and then did number three coming down the coming down the hill into the aid station but um yeah i fell asleep long before that happened so thanks for letting me get a few extra hours of sleep there but um we probably left there around maybe 5 a.m still dark out um and you were actually moving really well. I remember we got out into this road section and we started clipping off some like 12, 13 minute miles. Um, so moving really well. And then that section was pretty flat and the sun started to come up and we were talking about how the terrain there, we felt like we were walking on bars. Um, yeah. So little, very little plant life, lots of, lots of red rocks and, Made it to the aid station um, at mile 86-ish. Things started to get pretty warm. Um, so we were all bundled up from, you know, starting in the night. And then um, I guess your second time going back to warm weather clothes. And it got pretty, pretty hot on that longer section um, climate up to the Bridger Jack. Yeah, station. Yeah, it was really warm. Remember, you started to feel feel pretty bonky and and low on electrolytes. Probably not every as bad as what you had before you picked this up. It was like but. two to three miles before every aid station. I felt like I bonked almost. Like it was just <laughs> such a far distance to carry your own food. I just had no experience in like like I needed to take mm-hmm. an extra probably four hundred calories with me. You remember how dry yeah, it was. And and how my nose started bleeding mm-hmm. profusely. Oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that was a new experience. Um, a- yeah, anything well, else? I mean, I was just gonna say that that section I was with you on that Saturday afternoon was definitely the hottest it ever got um, over the ninety-five hours. And we saw it. But, um, yeah, the, the bloody nose. I forgot about that. That that was crazy to me. I've never, I've never seen that happened before and just out of nowhere you know it's like, an altitude yeah it's from like how dry and arid it is there it's just, and just being out all night i guess and we saw a giant tarantula right i didn't hallucinate that. right yeah okay. no that, <laughs> no that's on our um file share so i don't know maybe make it the thumbnail or something <laughs> <laughs> i didn't did i scream when i saw it i don't think i did no, you actually pointed it out to me. I probably would have missed it. And I went back and you, went, you just kept making forward progress and I got some, some good good shots of it. But yeah, that thing was maybe the size of my palm and hairy. Yeah, for sure. It was confident. It was walking down that yeah. trail like it owned that trail. Um, so Nathan, yeah. we, we see you again. Dave brings me in and it's it's mile, what, 102? Yeah, about 102. So was I yeah. looking okay? I mean, was it you that mentioned there was like one of the best foot guys in the world there? 
yeah, so I, I spent, you know, some solid time there. I, I got some sleep in the car and uh, just kind of hung out at that aid station. It was actually ran by Ben Light. Uh, pretty cool to meet him and talk about his uh, experience with Wasatch and Tahoe. And then, yeah, you came rolling in a little bit later and uh, you looked great for for mile 102. You just ran, <laughs> you're breaking into new territory there. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of made friends with everyone at the aid station because I was there for a little while and uh, a lot of people's feet getting worked on there. So I recommended that to you and sounded like that was a pretty good idea. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have any blisters. I had smashed my big left toe and he threw some tape on it. Um, I thought it was interesting how he padded, like, you know, the foot pad where, like, you force strike on your foot? He, like, literally just put a piece of tape on each left foot, right foot, and it held until mile 201, and some lady replaced it there. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, um, yeah, it was a good recommendation because I... I think I was to the point where I would have just cleaned them off and put new socks on and, and gone on, but I'm glad I did it in retrospect. And it goes back to our food and feet being like kind of the key key focal points of this race. I, I don't think I would have changed either of those, honestly. Um, and then, so how did our segment go? We had, what, 20 miles? Yeah, yeah, just under 20 miles. Uh we knew it was going to be a big climb and, and start going into this, that second night. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty simple to start. We actually were taking off miles pretty quick. We were running, uh, in that first four mile section, some of that downhill, uh, passing a few people. In fact, then, uh, we, we knew it was coming. We knew the, the big wall was going to be there and, uh, we kind of just hit it as it got dark and it wasn't, wasn't bad, but it kind of just felt like it went on forever. <laughs> Um, past the guy that thought, he told us we were at the top and we uh, had another probably three, 400 feet of climbing to go. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was fun. That was bizarre. He's like sitting there um, eating a tangerine and, uh, yeah, that was, yeah, weird. that smelled so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing worse yeah, than thinking then, you've, you've made it to the top. And the hardest part of that climb was trying to conserve yet make forward progress, but no, like, yeah. Hey, this is only going to be, this is only mile 115, like, you know, twice this distance and we're still not home yet. So like save some, but keep moving forward. Right. Yeah. And then we had that, that downhill section, that Jeep road. Uh, I don't know if you remember much about that, but that was kind of an interesting time. It was sticky and uh, like just a little soggy and uh, tacky, I guess would be the right word. And uh, you were running really well there. You, you, you put on some tunes at that point and just kind of like, grunted through it and, yeah uh yeah i was kind of blown away i'm like this dude just ran 100 miles and he is blowing through it that's, yeah, that's we, super awesome it was frustrating because i felt like we could have gone faster and use mm-hmm. use the same effort and we we're clipping off like what maybe 11 minute miles something like that yep. they, they felt like yep. sevens um but yeah, yeah, it was like sure. it was like this mud clay stuff, and you had to like run in a tire tire track for yep. a fourth of a mile, and then it would disappear, and you'd almost twist an ankle, and then you find another tire track. It was kind of bizarre. Yeah. So last last yeah, question. Last. Yeah, you're going there. Um, that climb. <laughs> yeah, you had me kind of run ahead a little bit, and. Uh... Uh, see if we could get some stuff set up for the next aid station, but 
uh, yeah, that climb, that last climb was just more road. And I mean, not really road. It was kind of that same tacky, uh, clay stuff. Uh, but so, I mean, he pushed right through it and finished it up. I have a question cause I, we didn't have time to even talk about it at the moment. Um, what did yeah. I, what did I say to you when you came out of the woods? You, you went to the bathroom and I saw your headlamp. Yeah. Did I say anything to you? I don't think you said a thing at that point. <laughs> okay. You were you were just I remember you saying, Was that the turn? Was that the turn that I was supposed to go up? And you were just like <laughs> kind of in the zone. Because I kinda gave you a run through, like, okay, we have a, a little bit of a switch back up here and then a right hand turn and you're like on the home stretch. You'll be I, at the eighth station and I hallucinated <laughs> I, I hallucinated up that section that I was like in this infinite loop and then it just kept going around around the mountains like literally three minutes after you took off ahead of me i was like stuck in this weird totally weird like infinite loop that i had heard sean um, on the previous episode talk about and i totally brushed aside and then i found myself in it but i looked over to the right and i saw a family in a camper through a window and then it turned into your headlamp it was so weird so weird Oh, that's funny. So I didn't mention Winnebago or anything like that to you. I was just mute. No. Okay. We. Nope. <laughs> okay. And so we we come in. I'm excited because I'm out of the infinite loop, but I'm also getting food. It was kind of a painful last mile getting in there. My quads were just screaming, and uh, I was excited to get some sleep because we had marked that as our sleep station for 121. Um. Ethan comes in the picture now. Ethan, um, how are you feeling before we go out and walk me through your segment? Yeah, well, I had, so I had, it was, uh, when I met you, it was basically Sunday morning. Um, I had worked all day Saturday um, and driven, like, left work at, like, 6 p.m. on Saturday, drove out to Moab and then met you at Shea Mountain. You guys were all asleep. I just, like, wandered into the aid station and, like, hey, is number three here? And uh, <laughs> you're like, uh, you know, we don't know. He's probably asleep if he is. And <laughs> so I walked around. Uh, it's kind of like a campground, and I was like looking in people's cars. I knew that I knew that you had a Honda Pilot. Um, so I was like, well, there's a Honda Pilot. It was the only one there. And so I like shone my light in there, and there was you know Dave, sure enough, sleeping in the front seat, uh, and you were in the back, and Nathan was in the driver's, and. Uh, <laughs> I was like, cool. So I just parked on my truck, like dangerously close to you guys, because it was, it was a tight spot, <laughs> and like, and just kind of started prepping my stuff. And then Dave woke up and kind of gave me the rundown. Um, and he was like, yeah, we we're gonna sleep until about I think it was like 3 a.m. Uh, when we woke you up. So I, I went and snoozed for about an hour and a half or so, which was nice, <laughs> um, having just driven like six hours and worked all day. Um, but yeah, I was totally psyched when I picked you up. Um, I was ready to kind of run through the night with you and just see how that went. I mean, I, I recall we started off is on like kind of a road section and I was concerned I had hit, uh, the previous few sections so hard that my quads would mm-hmm. have been blown and waking up after two and a half hours of sleep or whatever it was, two hours, three hours, I, I can't remember. Um, feeling refreshed again. And I remember running with you initially, right? 
Yeah, we ran a good portion of that. It was like a downhill. It started in some pavement and then kind of veered off onto some like double track HEV road. It was kind of more technical. But yeah, we ran most of that pavement. Right. And then we slowed it down a bit, but we were still, I think, running most most of that section, or at least yeah. attempting. I think we got passed by three guys, and I was like, okay. like Yeah, this... that's... At that point, yeah, you were uh, you were like, I can't let this happen. This is just. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I felt, those things, you know. I, I felt like half the race just passed me because I mean, there's only a hundred and some odd people. Like, <laughs> we we picked it up yeah. though from that from that point. Yeah, right about sunrise, I think, is when you kind of like clicked back on and um, and we started moving again. Yeah, and, and so we. I think we hammered a little bit on the way into that aid station. I can't recall what mile it was. So 139? Yeah, I don't remember. Dry Valley. Dry Valley. I think it was 139 is what, yeah, Dry Valley. So but, I, was, I, I was going in there, like, excited knowing the next 13 miles were these flat, like, super runnable. Like, on paper, it looked easy. It was like, yeah, okay, it looked, this it looked is, like it was going to be the segment that you just crushed, like, for sure. You make up time on this segment. Um, tell me, I mean, how, how did that go? Cause I know my perspective. I want to hear, I want to hear from you. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that first segment that we did out of Shea, Shea mountain, um, I really kind of, uh, I don't know, made it my priority to kind of keep you awake and kind of re re-energize you. Cause it seemed like, I mean, you were asleep and you had just woken up and it was kind of like, it was what the second or third night, I think it was the third night. So I was like, I kind of made it my priority to just keep the conversation up and try to keep the mood up. And then we came into Dry Valley, and um, we were kind of excited to, to hopefully clip off some quick miles on the roads. Um, it was nice and open. It wasn't um, warm. It wasn't hot or anything. It actually got kind of cold with the wind. The wind just kind of knocked us down, I think. Um, you ended up drafting off me a little bit. I would kind of walk right in front. And you'd walk right in back, right behind me, just to kind of block the wind a little bit because it was just so brutal. Um, and it just drug on and on. It was nothing like we expected. Um, we, I think you ran, I mean, a good portion of it. Um, and by the end, coming into Wind Whistle, you were definitely, like, moving. I think those were some of your fastest miles. But it was just kind of long, drawn-out, exposed, and like kind of really bitter. <laughs> I mean, you could you could just see the whole stretch too, which was like mentally. If I yeah, had that stretch worried. in the dark, I thought it actually would have maybe been better. But maybe it would have yeah, turned into an infinite loop. Also, I don't know. It felt like an infinite loop that I could see and like not hallucinate. Yeah. Um, and last question uh, for our photo on the road. Walk, yeah. walk, walk me through that one because uh, my wife gifted me a uh, a printout on Canvas of it. So um, yeah, that actually turned out really good. It turned out really well, actually. Um, uh, it was funny. My 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 phone was too cold because you know because of the wind and everything, and it had died. Um, I wasn't getting a battery, and um, and so I like turned on the phone to try to take a picture, and, and I was like, oh, you know, it just died. And then you just told me to put it in my jacket like on my chest to warm it up a little bit and we walked like two minutes and then you're like okay take the picture real quick 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like flipped it on. It was good to go. Took the picture, and it turned out awesome. So that's one of those emergency tricks. If the listeners listening, I forget what podcast I listened to. A woman had had fallen and um, literally had that was her last lifeline. Um, yeah. And she took her phone and she put it like like skin like right on her chest, under her shirt, under her jacket, under everything, and it gave like that last little charge so she could turn her phone on and make a phone call that saved her life. Now, in Ethan's case, it it saved an amazing photo. So it wasn't really... <laughs> not, not quite yeah, the same. Well. Um, yeah. Got a great suffer photo there. Um, <laughs> and so we get into the aid station and, and sort of what's, what's going on there. I think we hit mile 150... Yeah. I don't remember what that was. 59? I think it was 50 something. Yeah. 53? 53, yeah. Yeah, so I had, because on the first section, I had made it a priority to kind of keep the mood up and everything. And then we had that road and the wind and the long, drawn out. And I kind of lost the mood. Um, I felt almost uh, as if like I had kind of, I didn't really understand that, you know, you were kind of just in the zone. Um, and it had gotten pretty quiet. Uh, we weren't making as many jokes. Um it was still like forward progress and everything, but I got into the aid station, actually asked Dave to take my next section, which was going to be wind whistle to road 46, because I just felt like he could kind of, I don't know, put the mood back together it would change it up. We'd been together for like, it was 12 hours or so. So, yeah, no, I was, I was surprised at first. I was like, uh, like, and that was the first time where I thought to myself, I was like, this actually, this race is taking a toll on crew and pacers. Like, like For I sure. totally underestimated, but you guys are doing giant segments that are, like, well beyond 10-hour segments. Like, it's draining on you guys, and, like, I don't know, it was the first time I even thought about it. Um, but I went in for, I think, a cat nap there. Did I do, like, 15-minute nap there? Yeah, you, you laid down for a little bit. I think you ate... Two burgers? Not sure. I just, one or two burgers. I just remember someone saying, "Did you eat that whole? Was that you? Did you eat that whole burger?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it was like the guy handed it to you, and it was gone. I, was like, I mean, that was. And what's weird is there weren't other sources of calories. Like I go just back burgers. <laughs> I just I go back through like those aid stations, and I'm like, I wouldn't change any decision because, like, literally, how do you get? 45,000 yeah. calories in your system. Fat, like greasy. It's not through watermelon. Burgers. Not through watermelon. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so Dave, I, I pick you up. Um, what's going through your head for the next section? Walk me through getting me to mile, what was it, 175? Uh, road 46 is 166. 166. So I was actually pretty happy when Ethan asked me to, um, to pace because, you know, I've been waiting around all day. I actually ran out to into the last section to do some filming um, and saw you for maybe 10 minutes there and then came back and was waiting at the aid station. But yeah, it was, it was daytime, you know, late afternoon. So I was glad to run with you those 13 miles and um, you were actually moving really, really well there. We went out on like two miles up this road. We were just kind of walking up that, but when we made this right turn onto um, this pretty smooth um, dirt road and it was all downhill, 
you were moving really well. I was looking at the Strava while the other guys were talking, and you had some 12-minute miles in there, and you're really, really getting ahead there. Um, so, yeah, the sun started to go down. Um, definitely had one of the easier sections, and I know before you said, oh, we're doing these 10-hour um, pacing segments, I think we're only together, like, for four hours for that section. Yeah, that was, so, a, that was that, a good that one. Kind of, kind of yeah. nice, I guess. But um, but we knew the we knew the storm was coming at least for for you and Dan as we're heading into to Road Forty Six, and I'm really looking forward to hearing Dan talk about that. So, Dan, when did you hear us coming in? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> uh, uh, I heard you coming in uh, as you ran past my car, and I was half asleep. Uh, because you guys made such incredible time on that leg. Uh, but to take a couple steps back here, um, leading up to uh, the whole weekend was just a blur for me. Uh, this event was unlike anything I had ever witnessed or participated in. Uh, just to, uh, like you've mentioned a couple times, the, the duration of some of these legs. I mean, the, the mileage isn't isn't insane. Uh, it's long when you get 20 miles in between aid stations or whatever it be. Uh, but uh, just how drawn out everything gets uh, throughout the course of this whole whole weekend. Um, so I had I had run a 55k on Saturday. Went home, slept, knocked out some homework, and then 3 a.m. was up and uh, on the road by 4 a.m. on Sunday morning to get out to Moab. I get a text on my way out there, Rob's running late, uh, meet me at Wind Whistle. So I was actually at Wind Whistle, I saw you come in, and um, you were, uh, I think at that point, about seven hours behind schedule from when I was expected to be pacing. Uh, so I managed to get caught up on some sleep, which was kind of nice, uh, but uh, my, my elaborate pack job for my, my pack that I was taking with because uh, we weren't going to see crew for, uh, what, was it 35 miles, I think? Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, so uh, it, uh, rather than starting in the middle of the afternoon, we're now starting in the dark, because I think you actually slept for maybe 15 minutes or so there, or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm like frantically uh, watching you run past the car as you're coming in, and I'm like, oh, God, there he is. <laughs> and I went and got, I woke up Ethan, uh, or he was eating or something. He was sitting in the front of his truck. And uh, luckily, we, we had some time with you, uh, you taking a quick nap, but I was like completely second-guessing every decision I made uh, as to what to pack, what not to pack, what to wear. Um, all while this is like happening, the temperature is just dropping and dropping and dropping. And knowing that we're going up in elevation for the majority of, uh, of our section there, um, it, uh, it was, I was really concerned as to what layers to wear, what to bring, what not to wear. And I, I think I made all the right choices, but it resulted in an afternoon the next day of carrying all those, those layers um, for a lot longer than, <laughs> than I expected to. I think... Uh, we had the uh, the pleasure of each other's company for almost twenty hours for the, the thirty five miles. Um, yeah, so that I'm, was that was pretty. 
I'm just uh, thankful, you know, when when we did the group call, you picked up and answered, and we're still friends, so. <laughs> um, oh, man, Dan, was... <laughs> you, had, you had a hard back-to-back segment, and honestly, hats off to Dave for thinking this stuff through, because there's no way we could have switched up Pacers at any point throughout these two segments, so you really did need someone to do those back-to-back, and... Uh, I mean, lead man Dan, come on, you're lead man. Um, but yeah, we couldn't uh, this, have uh, this... <laughs> we couldn't have picked a, a colder time to decide to go up an elevation into the mountains. There, I mean, it seems yeah. like we started off well. First climb went good. Then I got, I I actually had some energy and ran a little bit for maybe a mile or two. Um, and then I basically was so, uh, I just had so many layers on. I basically sweated myself out of that run. Then it got cold and we were hiking some flats and let's go over those climbs. Cause climbing up to the first uh, aid mean, station <laughs> there. You mean the, the, the 49 false summits that we had to, uh, to oh, conquer? That my was, gosh. That was insane. I've never seen uh, a road or whatever we on uh, constructed like that. I mean, it was just 100 yards, you go up, it flatten out. 100 yards, you go up, it flatten out. And it did this nonstop. It turned into the point where we're, well, we're sitting on the trail it, joking about it. it. It was ridiculous. And it got to the point where I was like, okay, three more. Like, let's just hike the heck out of these. You go up three more, <laughs> which is not an easy effort. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe three more, and then you do three more. It was just, oh, it, and it got it was cold. So, it got super so cold. That's where drawn out. Yeah. Yes, the the temperature was dropping, and at that point, um, I think uh, going in, uh, you know, now being, uh, well, middle of the night, uh, if not early morning hours, really started to take a toll, and I think this is what kind of kicked off the whole uh, uh snake infestation uh, rob uh, was so convinced that uh, he couldn't sit in this area to to rest his feet for 30 seconds and take a, a goo or a, a hammer gel and uh so he's sitting there and he's looking at this he's like dude there's a snake there's a snake and i was like bob it's like 15 degrees there's no snake i saw <laughs> and he's like well then what is it and i was like rob it's not a snake just sit down eat your food and let's go and he's like, no, man, there's a snake. <laughs> I walk over, and I was like, no, there's definitely not a snake, Rob. Let's just sit down and get rolling with this. And he's like, what is it? I'm like, that is a nice, tightly wound turd. Uh, it was perfectly coiled in a <laughs> – it definitely looked like a snake, I, I mean, after looking at it, but it was clearly a, a big, fat yeah, turd on the yeah, trail. Yeah, that was, that was – uh, it was close. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so uh, – Oh, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, getting to that first aid station and actually getting food in, seeing the friendly faces uh, actually of aid station uh, workers from some of the previous aid stations that even knew, like, my weird, you know, dietary preferences um, was really awesome. Um, yeah. And sleeping in that tent, how long was that nap? I took, like, what, a 10-minute nap or a 15-minute nap? I think I said 10 and it ended up being about 15. Yes. Um, 
it, there was like a, a whole series of events. When we rolled into that aid station, um, it was almost like panic kind of set in because we were freezing. Both of us were really cold. Um, I remember taking your pack and going over to the aid station, but all the liquids they had out at that point were nearly frozen solid. And yeah. it was literally, <laughs> literally filling bottles and bladders with hot water only and waiting for more water to come off. The, uh, they had a big propane burner there. Um, so you were, you were, you were getting some food in, you sat by the fire, and then uh, we were trying to figure out this liquid situation, and I was waiting for more water to finish boiling, and um, that's when you got into, you crawled into the tent, you took a, a, a brief nap, uh, and I think that's after that nap, um, well, after you made your way out of the tent, you can hear Rob rustling around in this, in this sleep tent, and then all of a sudden it just stops, and he's like, um, <laughs> how do I get out of here? <laughs> Everyone sitting on the fire just lost it. So someone went over there and like helped you unzip and you step out of this tent and uh, you uh, you came to and um, we uh, we started moving really well at that point. Luckily, um, there were there were no snakes in the tents. Just to, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been that would have been bad. That downhill stretch yeah. though, the next downhill stretch was nice. It lasted a few miles. I remember running most of yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. Um, the downhill you were definitely moving well on. Uh, the uphill was a different story. I think, if I'm not mistaken on my calculation here, it's an approximate, but I think there was about a third of the climbing of the entire race condensed into the 35 miles that I brought. Where we we, uh, yeah. we did together. So it was a very slow, slow grind at times. Um, I think we even had a 58-minute mile somewhere in there. That was that was pretty stellar. Uh, that but, was uh, that was due to snake infestation. Come on, come on, Dan. That was not my. You just can't, you can't no, walk over sure snake was... beds like that. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, I I've paced quite a few people in the past uh, for hundred mile events and stuff like that, and the how positive uh, and willing to eat uh, your your ability was just. Absolutely, it was mind-boggling. I had no idea what to expect at that point in the race and you know that duration. Um, but once the sun came up that day, I would say from sunrise till noon, we uh, we were awesome. Uh, we were crushing it. We were moving as well as we could, uh, given the terrain that we were on of mud and snow and nearly all uphill. Um, but after noon, uh, up until getting into uh, Uwa Lake. Uh, that was a grind for both of us. Um, that was I know such a grind. You were, yeah. <laughs> you were definitely voicing uh, some frustration as to where this next aid station should be and where where it's not and everything else. Um, I was about ready to be done. I was tired. Uh, not to mention my back was done carrying the pack and uh, everything else I had in there with layers that I've been shedding and putting back on and shedding and putting back on. So... When we rolled into uh, Ua Lake and saw uh, Ethan and Dave there, uh, I mean that was uh, that was probably the best thing in the last 20 hours that could have happened. Uh, it was much needed. And after that, I mean, well, I'll let the other guys tell it, but uh, you absolutely crushed it after uh, some sleep and some food. So, uh, was, honestly, Dan, I don't know if you remember, but you had to go to the restroom. And I found some pine needles, and yeah. 
<laughs> and I was like, Dan, take take your time. Take your time. And I like curled up in a ball. And I think I literally fell asleep for five minutes or something to that effect. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, and I, if I'm not mistaken, my last words to you before I ducked into the woods were, Rob, keep moving. I'll be behind you, but I'm going to, I'll catch you eventually. And I come back out and you're near fetal position underneath a pine tree, <laughs> sleeping in the exact spot that I stepped off the trail. <laughs> well, I'm just, yeah, uh, that was, I, that, that is what, it wasn't the morning that energized me. Like looking back, I was so tired. Like I couldn't keep my eyes open. And that quick nap was like the most rejuvenating thing. Having not slept in, what was it, three days? All, like for... Four, four days, almost. Yeah, almost four three days on four on days. three hours of sleep. Like, and so we get to the aid station and I'm like, okay guys, like I have to sleep. Like this is a, a must, but getting food in me, I mean, I didn't feel as tired, so it definitely helped. Um, what's going on? you know, as I get into that aid station for Ethan and Dave, what are you guys thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I can just, uh, interject a little bit. Um, so I had left, this is Dave speaking. I left road 46. Like when you did around nine, I drove to ULA cause I knew that was the next time I was going to see you. And I managed to get like 10, 11 hours of sleep in your car, but it, it was pretty stinking cold up there. Um, and we were expecting you maybe 11 a.m. noon to come in. So I eventually wake up, and there's no service at that ULA gate station. But if I go backwards on the course and climb a mile, you get to this um, view, and you get service. So I went up there maybe around 11 or 12, and I did a little tracking thing, which was great, by the way, and saw that you were still like eight miles eight miles out and I was like mm, that's going to be another three hours at least so I went back down and also I noticed that um, the trail was muddy and snowy and pretty darn technical um, <laughs> so I was like man this is um, must have been a fun fun night for them so I go back down tell Ethan <laughs> it's, it's going to be another three or four hours at least. Um, we kind of wait around. I go back up with the film gear when I'm kind of expecting you and I drop down the hill a little bit and I see you guys finally. And I saw, when I saw you and Dan there, I paced Dan the last 35 miles at High Lonesome and he looked more beat than he did during any of those, any of those miles of that race, which is a pretty tough hunter for those who don't know but um yeah i told you guys there's still like a mile and a half left and you look pretty we, we were like pretty gonna, upset we we're gonna beat you ago. we're gonna beat you up like <laughs> we were not having that that's yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah. that was a go ahead go ahead. go ahead dan uh no i was just saying at that point it was we were beyond ready to have been done. And then seeing you and I was like, man, I hope you didn't run like three miles into this. Cause I can't do another hour. And, uh, it, it was, I mean, at that point, 20 minute miles were a blessing and it was uh, trying to calculate it out. It's like, okay, we got another, you know, 40 minutes almost of 
slogging through this before we even get to the aid station. So yeah, it was it was great to see you, Dave. But at the same time, it was still disappointing because we knew we were going to be out there for almost an hour still. So. <laughs> yeah, that mud. Yeah, that was that was not ideal. That's all I'll say. And yeah, the worst no. part was only was... seeing four footprints in front of me. So like you knew, and Dan, you remember this, right? Like we only saw a few footprints, meaning like it had just thawed. Like, yes, yes, you're absolutely right. There, uh, I think we were chasing yeah two to three sets of footprints, and and then you'd find areas where there wasn't any. And by the time we had rolled through, it was all thawed out again. And, I mean, the mud was bad. It was just greasy, snot-like. And, I mean, it was, it was rough. <laughs> I can't put it into words, but it was, it was rough. It, my last, my last uh, little story from that segment was I, I started running a little bit. We saw, these, we saw a photographer um, who took our picture and whatnot. And I think he was with his wife or girlfriend, um, and yeah, Dan, we got a cool photo there. And then I kept running and I saw Howie behind a log taking photos. And so I ran through this little mud section and like, you know, I wanted a cool photo. So like ran through the puddle right through the middle. And then I asked Dan if he saw Howie back there. And he's like, no, there was, there was no photographer there. <laughs> Rob was so convinced that was like, he, he saw a photographer what? there and was like, <laughs> trying to get this stellar shot at a hundred and I don't know ninety-five miles into this run, <laughs> there was certainly no one in the woods. We were the only ones out there. So yeah, how we got a kick out of that story, um, <laughs> Ethan? What are you thinking? I wake up out of the car. Um, you immediately are like, "All right, two miles. Like it's a climb, but then it's all downhill." Like. Tell me the details on this 20-mile segment, mile 201 to 221, roughly. 230. For sure. Two, yeah, 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 whatever I mean, the math uh, works out to. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it was. It was, it was kind of a, a question. I was honestly questioning myself uh, at that point what, uh, what was the mileage and what was not. Um, but <laughs> essentially, yeah, it started out with like a two-mile climb uh, out of the aid station. Um, I kind of just... Going off of how, how you had been moving through the last section, uh, we were still at high elevation and everything, and I, I kind of figured it was going to be a long segment. Um, you know, we were going out at, like, I think we left at about 8 p.m., so it kind of just turned into night. Um, and I figured, you know, well, we're probably going to just be together through the whole night. We'll probably see the sunrise. Um, and we got up to that, that two-mile uh, top of the climb, and we knew that it was a road and you had, you had mentioned that you wanted to do some good running. And I was like, all for that. Um, you know, as long as you're, you know, feeling good and putting calories in. Um, and yeah, you just started taking off miles. Like you didn't really say too much the whole time. I would kind of remind you to eat something. You would just do it. Um, and like, we were just crushing this road. Um, you know, I think we passed as soon as we got onto the road, we passed like what was it four people five people it was it was impressive um i just let you do it <laughs> yeah I, I distinctly remember 208 because it was i think it was the best mile i've ever run my whole life um <laughs> mile 208 i think we on strava or whatever it was it, it came up as like a 10 minute mile like 10 13 or something to that effect but yeah man, i'm looking yeah. at it right now it's just 10 13 
ten, yeah, I think it was the best mile of my life. I think I think Ethan and I actually hit what eight forty five at one point during that. Like we were really, we were yeah, it was, we were it was hammering. Solid. We were hammering like, to the point where I was like, okay, slow down. Take it easy. Like, <laughs> don't take yourself out. Yeah, I was kind of, uh, like, we started down that road, and I was kind of, like, right in front of you, just to your side uh, and in front. And then, you know, we were just cruising, and all of a sudden you're in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and just, and just like, going. I was like, oh, oh, okay. I don't awesome. know what kind of flow that was, but... Um... That segment was by far my best segment. I mean, I had bursts here and there, but as far as sustained uh, segments, especially coming at mile 200, uh, I thought, you know, it, things couldn't have gone any better than that segment went. Like, literally, that was... Uh, we were concerned that Dave was going to be sleeping, right, when we yeah, when I finished was actually, that up? I had service through, like, the last portion of that... Um, that uh segment and so i was actually texting dave like hey we're gonna we're gonna be a little early <laughs> like a few hours early <laughs> and uh yeah so we came in and he was he was standing right there pointing us into the aid station was ready to go so yep yeah it was it was awesome like truly mind-boggling again to just have energy that far in with like so little sleep um and the accumulated fatigue of, of, you know, the the gain on Dan's section just previous and the mud and everything else. Um, and so, Dave, our segment, the last the last segment, things got, things started off slow. Then, you know, walk me through what happened. You you turned your ankle bad. I, I saw it right there. Yeah. Like I was following you. Yeah, so I just want to start off with saying – we were pretty fortunate to have cell service at that last seat station. Otherwise, I definitely would have been asleep when you guys came rolling through there. But were we like fortunately, I saw the tracking, got Ethan's messages, and was ready to go. Um, three, were so yeah, we three hours? Station. Three hours ahead of you? It was like two and a half. I was expecting you there by like three, and you came in and probably 12.30. Okay. I think. Yeah, it was like it was like a little after midnight. I was like, I'm I'm done. That's it. That's that was the whole segment. <laughs> Dan didn't laugh at that one, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I chuckled a little. I'm I'm, I'm I'm not as bitter as I was uh, a week ago. So it's, it's funny to hear it now. Yeah, so, yeah, Dave, so you yeah. came into that aid station, you, I forget what, what you ate exactly, but um, yeah, we were knocked to hair for a long time. It was almost like a 50K aid station to refill some bottles and grab. It was all business for sure. Get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. So there were people drinking beers and stuff. miles <laughs> downhill. Yeah. They had booze there. I guess last aid station, maybe people want to celebrate a little bit. A little bit early, so yeah. People, people were just in there hanging out, warming up, drinking, and uh, and you were just like, it was just business. Came in, came out. Let's finish this. My, yeah, you know? my beer's at the finish line. That's what I think. I exactly. told somebody. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we left the aid station, um, found out later that that section coming back down to the start-finish area was one of the more beautiful sections of the course, but we were up there in the dark, obviously. Um, So, yeah, that trail is a pretty technical Jeep road, which Moab is is known for, the hair technical Jeep roads. We were going downhill, um, pace slowed down a lot from what Ethan had done, and Rob, I think your, um, maybe Lay started to feel that last section a little bit, and we slowed was, down a lot. I, I don't know what happened. I, it was, it was strange, because I, at least early on, yeah. I think it was just the technicality on, like, all the different muscles mm-hmm. that you have to utilize, like, instead of that smoother yeah, road, yeah, man, it was... It was killer for those first few miles, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, seeing you twist your, your ankle that bad, and then I just remember sitting on a rock and eating mass gummy bears, like, trying to figure out what was going <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah, so you hate those gummy bears, and I don't know if it's at the same time, but my my headlamp yeah. light started to get pretty dim, and I went to replace the batteries, and when I did that the light would not turn back on. Um, so we're up there at like 2.30 in the morning. And I don't have a working headlamp. And I had just rolled, rolled my ankle pretty bad, maybe a mile or so before that. So I was like, damn, this is, a, this is not a great situation for me. Um, we make the decision after fumbling with the light for a few minutes that well, we can't sit here forever. Um, so I just used my iPhone light, which is actually a lot brighter than my headlamp was. So that was all right, I guess. Obviously, I had to hold it and then try to negotiate this really rocky trail with um, a rapidly swelling ankle. And we left, and you actually started to move extremely, extremely well, and you were clicking off some... It was some good miles. Looks like looking at Strava, like thirteen fifty three, thirteen fifty one through there and you dropped me for for those miles it was so awkward because i was like do i run do i stay like like but the sugar took hold (laughs) i just remember running up uphill like up up pretty was i running up pretty steep inclines and then because i think i remember i don't know because i you had dropped me (laughs) i just remember you caught up and then you're like Hey man, maybe you should like ease up a little bit. You don't want to totally. <laughs> I forget what you said, but I was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Like, really, once this sugar, because I did I tell you like the whole time I'm like I'm just waiting for this sugar high to like wear off, and then I'm gonna be yeah, but sleeping. I catch back up to yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, hopefully we can just keep the sugar coming to postpone that crash till till a couple hours from now when we're actually. Yeah. done but um yeah the trail it, it got pretty um at least for me hard to find the trail i when i was trying to catch up to you i'd gotten turned around a couple times and we actually saw candace coming back up the trail the other way because apparently someone else yeah had gotten lost there so yeah another good reason that they had the um the spot trackers yeah she found her name fans. was van right mm-hmm. And paste her back I, I don't in. Know. It's pretty cool. So I was yeah, but most... you were saying before the race. No, go ahead. 
No, I was, I was just most impressed that you were picking up on people's, like, footprints and stuff. Um, because the course markings were kind of difficult to follow, like you're saying, especially towards the very end. Um, I know we had, like, a small pack of people that you were showing everyone where to go. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was impressed. I would have definitely missed that turn and tagged another extra mile onto my race if... Uh, <laughs> if you hadn't found the, the right way to go there. Yeah. Yeah. So just experience being on trails. Um, if you get turned around, look for, look for trekking hole plugs, footprints, things like that. People who were up there in the day later were saying, Oh, in the daylight, it's obvious where to go. But I was going to say before you, before the race we were talking about, it's like, Oh, someone's going to die at one of these races someday. And, you know, good reason why they have the spot trackers hopefully that'll that'll never happen but it's so yeah. long between the aid stations and people out there for for so long and just extreme conditions so yeah it, it was just super impressive at the time and we eventually got down to that to that bike path and you know it was like three miles in but it was just really amazing to reflect on the last few days and how far you and and we had come and everything that you had endured to get to this point and also i was trying to catch back up to you it's like i have to catch up to him i don't care how swollen my ankle gets um i really don't want to miss miss the finish line yeah so well i i think it was what we have like five probably or seven miles by the time you you caught up there so we made up I think we made up a really great amount of time over that sugar high that lasted probably what an hour, roughly, maybe. And I don't maybe know. Not I even... kind of lost track of time too. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah. Getting. To, Go ahead. To put things into perspective, um, for this the the last two segments with Ethan and Dave versus the segment that I had uh, paced with you, it took us just shy of 20 hours to do 35 miles. And I'm pretty sure you knocked out your last 41 point whatever miles in about 12 hours. <laughs> it was pretty crazy to see that turnaround after mile 200. I mean, it was, it was wild to witness because I was tracking you on my way home. I was trying to make it to class, which never happened. Um, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was incredible just to see you, just ripping through the miles at that point. Yeah, you you had told my wife actually, right, that it was looking like, what'd you say, a hundred and five or a hundred and ten hours or something like that. Yeah, it was about that. Uh, the evening that I finished pacing uh, Monday, I guess <laughs> all the days kind of blurred together that weekend. Um, I had sent a message and said that you were moving well, you were getting sleep, you were eating, and you were uh, had just taken off. Uh, but I wouldn't expect him in for like another, uh, what my estimation was about 10 hours off, just based on how we were moving over the last 35 miles. So, yeah, you completely destroyed uh, my estimate for, for when your, your finish time was going to be. I mean, the, the game plan, guys, all along has been it's not a race until mile 200, right? <laughs> I'm just totally kidding around. I'm thankful to finish that. Um, so in retrospect, I mean, what advice I want to hear from each one of you guys one last time. And 
I still can't believe we did that in just shy of under four days. Hats off to each and every one of you guys because you added a huge element to this finish. And it it will be seriously, it will be fascinating to go out there trying to do it at some point by myself with no crew to see, like, the vast difference of uh, the experience. But you guys helped out so much and got me through sort of my my super low low early on in the race so um let's start with dave and and just work through in our our typical order here like advice for people that are crewing you know crewing or pacing a 240 or a 200 miler versus a 100 miler do you have any advice for people thinking about doing that yeah, sure. Um, you know, expect the unexpected. Obviously, that's a cliche, but, you know, you can only make so many plans beforehand. So, yeah, I mean, we made a plan and we realized that, okay, there's going to be self-service very sporadically, so we're going to have to stick to this plan, um, like, really, really, really soundly. And a couple incidents come to mind. One is... Um, when Ethan was coming to um, pace you, um, he had said that he was going to be at Dry Valley, but I needed him at Shea Mountain. And fortunately, we had a little bit of cell service at Shea Mountain. I was like, no, 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 come to Shea Mountain. So, yeah, if we didn't have service there, um, yeah, we could we could have had some issues with that. Um, also, download the Google Maps on your phone when I left the Bridger Jack aid station after not driving up there because I was pacing you to there. I got pretty lost trying to trying to leave there, and I had turn-by-turn directions, and, of course, those roads are not named, or the names are, like, yeah. not visible in a lot of places. So, yeah, that was another crazy thing that we don't spend too much time on. Um but yeah, other than, you know, logistical things like that, just be prepared. You can never, never have enough gear. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun. I had never done or been a part of anything like this. I mean, I paced people for hundreds before, but nothing as complex or as long as this. So yeah, really grateful to be a part of it and really, privileged and honored that you asked me to be your uh, crew captain yeah, you, did, you so did an you, awesome Robert. awesome job and the fact that you finished on such a busted ankle was in itself phenomenal so yeah it's it's much appreciated uh ethan let's hear from you what do you what, what's the big difference that you picked up on between a 200 miler and a 100 miler and, and sort of any advice for people well, uh, I mean, personally, I think it was just kind of understanding the the distance and the length of time is going to be completely different. Um, you know, a hundred mile when I went out to do to uh, crew for Dave in Leadville, I mean, it was like, you know, everything's pretty cut and dry. You go to the same station, you go to the same station, boom, boom, boom. You're, you know, this person needs to be here. This person needs to be here. The cars need to be blah, blah, blah. And then you're done after a day. It's one day you're out there. Um, 
but with this, you know, I got out there on the third day that you were out there and you still had, we still had, you know, a couple days to be out there. And so actually I think it was Monday while you were and you and, uh, while Rob and Dan were, were, you know, traversing the LaSalle's essentially, <laughs> um, I was just, you know, it was Dave and I just sitting at Uwa Lake all day. And I just, you know, I read an entire book, which was awesome. It was cool. I'd never done that in one sitting before, but it was like, mentally, I was like, this is a whole different ballpark. You know, the length of time is just wildly different. That's cool. So, Dan, yeah. Dan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I'm going to kind of echo both uh, Dave and Ethan there, but uh, well, first and foremost, uh, Dave did an incredible job. So Dave, thank you for patience and planning and communication and everything else that you managed to handle in between pacing. I don't even know. How many miles did you do, Dave? Uh, like 56, I think. <laughs> but um, But I don't think I did 20 hours worth. So, <laughs> <probably got me. laughs> uh, but no, it was, it, it, it was awesome. Um, I think, uh, both the racer and the pacer, um, you have to be 150% committed to, to taking this on. Uh, it's like they both said, uh, the duration, um, it's just incredible. There's so many things that go wrong. There's so much change to initial plans, and you you absolutely have to be willing to uh, adapt because uh, without it, it it will not happen. Um, and I mean, it it really it makes a, a hundred miler feel like a marathon. Uh, I mean, it, it's sure there's times where you have pacers that are out there for long durations during hundred miles, but. I mean, the total hours that Nathan, Ethan, Dave, and I put in, I mean, it, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Um, so, yeah, you gotta, you got to be 110% committed, and you need to be willing to adapt as need be. Like, it's, any, everything's going to change, basically. So, just be ready for it. Very cool. How about you, Nathan? Well, I just want to say... Uh, congratulations to you rob like you you keep talking about us but like we can't diminish your accomplishment at all <laughs> i had oh, a, a great job and yeah and uh dave thanks to you too you you were so organized it made it really easy to to fit right in there at the last minute and, and just hop in and help um and echoing what what you guys are all saying like it, it's it's totally insane too <laughs> Uh, how much time it, we, is spent out there and uh, just just the logistics of it. Uh, Dave was running back and forth from, uh, you know, hundreds of miles of driving, not just uh, uh, walking or running or, or waiting at aid stations, uh, you know, getting getting us around, make sure we're in, we're in the right places without cell service. It's, it's uh, mind-boggling, <laughs> uh, everything that went into that. But, uh, I mean, it was super successful and, and, and incredible to, to be a part of. Um, yeah. And I was really happy to do that. That's amazing. Um, any of you guys interested in running your own 200 miler race at some point? Are you guys going to sign up for a Tahoe or Bigfoot or anything, or 
Or did you? <laughs> poor, poor Dan. Dan's moving down to to half marathons now. Um. <laughs> no, I uh, I'm a hundred I'm a hundred percent in on a two hundred miler. Uh, hopefully in the next. Uh, or, uh, did I say hundred miler? Two hundred, I think. I, I oh, two hundred. Def- I'm 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 definitely in on on the two hundred mile thing. I think it's uh, it's it's wild. Um, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's it it looks like a lot of fun. Um, I'm in. That's good to hear. I I was thinking about Leadville uh, double. I mean that that makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, Dave, Ethan, Nathan, are you guys thinking about a two hundred or Nathan? You're probably thinking about your first hundred, right? Yeah, definitely still thinking about that. Uh, my wife asked me if I was going to run run two hundred after uh, I got home, and I, I that day I told her no, but uh, I'm still fascinated. We'll see what happens. You're you're, you're still new to this, right? So you got plenty of time, man. Oh yeah, Nathan. As a uh, bit of advice, uh, never say no. Uh, never say you're not going to do something because I've said that for the last three years, and every time I say I'm not going to do that, I end up doing it. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna yep, I'm gonna yep. stop you right there. Just stop saying you're not going to do it because it'll it will happen. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I remember saying that. I remember saying that at mile thirteen, and my first half marathon, crossing the finish line, saying, "Who turns around and does that again? I'll never do that." And then I ran a fifty k instead. So nice, Dave. Are you going to drop yeah. down from your, you know, five hundred mile Colorado trail distance to do a two hundred miler at some point? You think? Uh, well, when I first heard about the Moab 240 last year, when Courtney DeWalter went on Joe Rogan, I was like, that's preposterous. I'll, I'll never do that. But like Dan said, <laughs> never say never. And when I was talking to my parents about about this whole thing, they're like, so you're not going to do it. It's like, well, I, I know now to never say never. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, definitely intrigued and would most likely like to do one someday. Cool. What about you? What about Ethan? Well, I would say no, but, uh, you know, that would just mean, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) No, I'm I'm, uh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for a good 100-miler, and then, uh, yeah, I uh, I definitely see myself getting into that. It was just, like, the community was outstanding, and just the environment throughout the entire situation was phenomenal. Well, I can't thank you guys enough i truly brought my you know some seriously trusted people into this event i this this event meant so much to me i had to finish it um there's not many races i would have been able to pull myself out of that you know stupid low at the beginning um to then be running you know beyond the 200 mile mark and i just i truly see you guys as sort of the all-star crew team pacer team can't thank you enough and you know thanks for sharing you know your side of things and and just really appreciate you guys all being on this call and and sharing the experience so thank you guys i I truly do appreciate it thanks rob very welcome rob that's episode 63 i hope you enjoyed it big thank you again to hammer nutrition Sufferfest beer destination trail and exoskin 
And again, big thank you to my crew and pacers for Moab. And thanks to you guys. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. There's just a huge level of support from the community as I went into the race. So big thank you guys. Have a good night. Enjoy your training. <laughs>